Well, I get a real treat this morning. Um, in uh, 1991, Kimberly and I moved to Little Rock, Arkansas to join a ministry called Family Life. And uh, did I mention I was 23? I, I think I was the youngest guy in the entire ministry, fought way too much of myself, had a lot to learn. Um, but I came in there and uh, it was an education from day one. And one of the most powerful lessons that I learned, and you've heard me say this again and again and again, is that God will always give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And one of my greatest memories of seeing God do that was when Family Life started their radio program. How many of you have listened to Family Life today? Okay, a few of you. That's right. Okay. Well, I remember the, uh, the leadership team getting together and beginning to think about this thing called radio. Uh, Dennis was like, I don't know, guys, this is a big jump. And there was this person's name that just kept coming up in the conversations. It was Bob Lapine. He is on your right there. And uh, if you've been around radio at all, you've heard his name at some point or another. Um, he is a legend. But I just remember uh, Dennis saying, you know, if Bob will come, I think we can do this. <laughs> and sure enough, he did. And uh, I got to see every day the truth about together being better. Two phenomenal, strong, capable leaders humbly walking together to help fulfill the Great Commission through radio. And so you guys get a treat today. Bob Lapine is here, and he is going to teach us. He's a pastor in Little Rock along with doing the radio broadcast. And um, it's just going to be a great encouragement to you. Um, for sure. Bob, um, come on up here if you would, and so grateful that you and Marianne were able to join us today. And I, I want to pray for you, but I also want to thank you for modeling for me and for Jeff a long obedience in the same direction. We say that over and over around here, and you have been that in my life. I'm very grateful. So let me pray for you, and then we'll get into the Word. Father in heaven, so grateful for all of the ways that you work in our lives and the people that you bring along to help us take next right steps. And I thank you for Bob and how he's been that in my life. I've been that in Jeff's life. And how he's been that for so many people who uh, have listened to the radio. And uh, Lord, we're grateful to have him here today. And I pray that you would bless him and anoint him with your spirit. Speak through him as he... Uh, teaches from your word, and Lord, would you do a work in all of us this day that would honor you and accomplish your purposes. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. you bet. Thank you all. It's great to be here. Do more than just turkey hunt. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's a joy to be here with you all this morning. I uh, have known about this church from the, since your beginnings, and have prayed for this church and love your pastors and uh, 
have looked forward to being here and, and being with you. Uh, I didn't know they were going to show the before and after picture, the evidence of the fall being a reality. <laughs> uh, but but uh, yeah, so from the sublime to the ridiculous, I guess that's where we are. I, I do, I, I remember coming to Family Life, Monty was one of the first people that I connected with at Family Life. He was Dennis Rainey's assistant at the time, and um, I remember Monty, the first week I was there, he, one of his jobs was to help me, show me the ropes and get me settled, and he came into my office and he said, I got some advice for you. I don't know if you remember this. He said, um, when Dennis Rainey will come into your office and he'll have a new idea, he said, wait until he comes the third time with the same idea before you do anything about it. It was great wisdom and great advice and so practical and uh, appreciate Monty and Kimberly and of course Jeff and Jenna, we, I, we've known the Pattons since uh, they joined the Weekend to Remember speaker team and have been speaking at events with us and have become dear friends and uh, so I have I, I prayed for you all, prayed for this church and it's really a treat to be in Murfreesboro this morning. Mother's Day sermons and, and Father's Day sermons, when you're speaking on Mother's Day, Actually, when you speak on Mother's Day and you speak on Father's Day, it always seems like it goes two completely different directions. I don't know if you know this, but when you do a Mother's Day sermon, the theme is often like this. We interviewed the author of a book years ago. She'd written a book called Mom, You're Incredible, and that's what your theme for your Mother's Day sermon is supposed to be. Moms, you're incredible. Dad, we interviewed a guy who wrote a book, Step Up to the Plate, Dad, you know? <laughs> Right, so moms were just supposed to love you and say like this. With dads, we just challenge them and say, step up to the plate. So this morning, I'm going a little different direction. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, um, and, and we're going to apply it to motherhood. Here, here's what I want our focus to be. If you've wondered, moms, those of you who are moms in the room, if you've wondered why being a mom is at times really, really hard you may not have stopped to think about the reason that we're going to focus on this morning. The reason we're going to focus on this morning is one of the reasons it's hard is because you're in the middle of a spiritual battle with a very real enemy who does not want you to succeed in what it is you're setting out to do. It's not just hard because it's hard. I mean, it would be hard if there was no spiritual enemy involved. But you throw the reality of spiritual battle into the midst of this, and all of a sudden, you can see why the challenges you face as a mom are, are really significant. When you set your mind as parents to raise your kids to know and love Jesus, which ought to be the goal and the objective, there is one in the universe, there's actually a legion of demonic forces in the universe that want to upend that that want to disrupt that. A, there is a defeated enemy who is not going down quietly, who is not surrendering. Even, I don't know if he recognizes the reality of his defeat or if his own pride continues to make him think, no, I can still do this. But he's at war against any spiritual goal or objective you as a, have as a mom. And this doesn't matter whether your kids are toddlers or your kids are grown and out of the house. You are... You are doing what you're doing as a mother in the middle of spiritual battle. So what I want to do this morning is take us to the classic passage on spiritual warfare in the New Testament. That's Ephesians chapter 6. And I want us to be looking at how this applies to the, the reality of motherhood. 
Uh, and we're going to break break this passage down into three big ideas. The, f the first thing is, I, I just want to reinforce spiritual warfare is real. The second thing I want us to look at, and, and moms, in, in the midst of that, I want you to see that this is a big part of why your job is so exhausting. So there's real spiritual warfare going on. Secondly, I want us to look at what are the specific schemes of the devil that, that he uses in spiritual battle. Because, moms, Satan has specific strategies that he uses with you to try to bring discouragement and defeat in the process of being a mom. And then third, we're going to talk about the spiritual resources that are available, the spiritual armor that you have available to put on every day to help protect you in spiritual battle and to help you be victorious in spiritual battle. And we'll talk about how each of these pieces of spiritual armor apply to the job you have as a mom. So I think this passage has a lot to say to all of us, whether we're moms, dads, whether we're single, wherever you are, the, the reality of spiritual warfare is something all of us face. We'll, we'll look at that, but then we'll try to do some specific application to moms, all right? So let me read through the passage together with you, and before we read the passage together, let me pray for our time in God's Word. Father, um, we are grateful that we do not come to your word unaided, but that your Holy Spirit is your gift to us to clear our clouded minds, to um, quiet our distracted hearts, and to give us wisdom that is beyond ourselves. We confess that we are dull and that without the work of your Spirit, we could not comprehend the truth that is in this passage. So, Lord, we need you to be our teacher today. Speak to us by your Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. I'll give you a little context for this. The first half of the book of Ephesians is about what Christ has done for us and about the, the glory of the gospel. The second half, chapters 4, 5, and 6, that's about how we respond as a result of of what Christ has done. If this is true, then this is how we should live. And so Paul has been outlining in Ephesians 4 and 5 and beginning chapter 6 the implications of the gospel and how we live with one another, how we function, how we walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And so he's getting to the end of what he's writing, having written all of this. This is how you walk. And he says, I got some last words for you. Everything I've just talked to you about doing, you're doing with spiritual battle going on. So that's where we are. We're wrapping up the book of Ephesians with these final words. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and, uh, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We'll stop there. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. So let's talk about the reality of this spiritual warfare. We live in a modern era, a, a scientific era, a post-enlightenment age, and we can find ourselves thinking as we go through our daily routine, we can find ourselves just thinking that the unseen spiritual realm, that is that for real? I mean, can we really believe that's there? We're modern people. I mean, maybe back in the old days, the superstitious folks thought about stuff like that, but we're modern people. We're empiricists. We tend to think the only thing that's real is the stuff we can taste or touch or see or smell or hear, that there's nothing beyond our senses. There's no unseen world. But if, if Jesus and the Apostle Paul and all of the people in the ancient world, it's not like they were like they needed a microwave in order to understand greater things. They were men who were more spiritually alert and more spiritually aware than people in our day are. They had an understanding of the reality of spiritual battle. If you find yourself thinking, I don't know if I really believe that there's an unseen world and angels and demons and all of that, maybe if Jesus and Paul had been more enlightened Maybe they'd have thought that, like I think. So more enlightened than Jesus, right? I mean, you know how Jesus began his public ministry. After he was baptized by John the Baptist, what's the next thing that happens? Forty days in the wilderness, which ends with a confrontation between Jesus and Satan and direct temptation. Jesus doing his own spiritual warfare and his own spiritual battle. He was not immune from this, and he was not ignorant about it. He knew it was a reality. He, he knew clearly there is a real unseen enemy, and we've got to be aware of that too. That's Ephesians 6, 12, which we just read, says, talks about cosmic powers in this present darkness, the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. The thing is, because it's unseen, out of sight, What? out of mind. Because we don't see the spiritual battle happening, we can tend to put it aside. And that can be a problem. When you're not aware of or thinking about spiritual battle, you find yourself vulnerable. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about spiritual warfare that some of you have probably read, The Screwtape Letters, a classic book on the subject. Letters from an older demon to a younger demon, training him on how to torment people. And in these letters, he's spelling out for him strategies or attacks. You want to know what spiritual battle looks like, pick up a copy of the Screwtape Letters and read it, and you'll see the subtle ways that Satan comes at all of us. But in the preface for this book, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. It's a problem to get too focused and think there's a devil everywhere. I know people who like, when they have allergies, they go, this is demonic, you know. 
I'm being attacked by the enemy. That's, you're being attacked by pollen, okay? <laughs> and, and then there are other people who are just ignorant or not persuaded that there's a reality of the devil. The spiritual world is real. The spiritual battleground is real. We should not be preoccupied by that, but we should not be ignorant of it either. We have to keep it in mind, but don't let it drive what you're doing. Now, what does all this have to do with being a mom or with parenting? Well, here's what it has to do. The, the goal of, of the enemy is, as I said, to disrupt the purposes of God in our world and in our lives. Spiritual warfare is designed to try to uh, slow or impede God's work in our world. Satan is deluded by pride into thinking that he can somehow thwart God's purposes. He can't. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. God is greater than Satan. Satan can't do anything outside of God's permission, but his pride compels him to try to disrupt the work of God. And in fact, in this same chapter, in Ephesians chapter 6, um, the Apostle Paul has been talking about relationships, marriage in Ephesians 5, and then parenting at the beginning of Ephesians 6, and then workers and their employees or slaves and masters in the ancient world. He's talking about how all of these things can experience spiritual warfare. And in Ephesians 6, 4, he says to fathers, he says, fathers, you have a job to do. Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not just fathers, it's fathers and mothers working together. So God's given us an assignment, raise our kids in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Satan comes along and says, I'm going to do everything I can to try to keep that from happening. Now, this, this is one of, there are some classic passages on parents' assignments. Deuteronomy 6, some of you know that passage, you can look this one up later. It says that you're to teach your children diligently the things of God throughout the day. It's, that's your assignment. Psalm 78 is another passage that says that we're to pass on the truth about God, about his word and about his work, not just in the old times, but in our own lives. Pass that on to the next generations that they can walk in it. There's, there's a, an assignment that is for all of us as parents to pass on a spiritual legacy to the next generation. And Satan says, I'm going to do everything I can to disrupt that work, to try to keep you from accomplishing that purpose. And ultimately, Satan does not care whether you bring up your kids to be successful and moral and polite, whether they get happily married, whether they get good jobs. He doesn't care whether things go well for you or they mess up, get off track, make bad mistakes. He's fine with them growing up in the church and saying prayers before dinner just as long as Jesus isn't first in their lives. So I want your kids to grow up to be polite and moral and get good jobs and, and get married. You want that, right? I mean, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, what you don't want is for that to be true and for them to be spiritually distracted or apart from Jesus. If Jesus is not first in their life, all that other stuff is just an accumulation of the good life now and a bad end, okay? So the most important thing you need to be about as parents, as a mom, is passing on the truth about who Jesus is to your kids. And that's where Satan's going to attack you. This passage in Ephesians 6, there are, there are five commands that were given. And this kind of gives you the framework 
of, of what you're supposed to do. So a, a mom, a parent, in order to be successful in spiritual battle, number one, be strong, it says. That's how the passage starts. You've got to be strong. Moms, dads, we need to be spiritually strong. We've got to be exercising our spiritual muscles. The more spiritually flabby you are, the more uh, susceptible you are to spiritual attack. So strengthen your own spiritual selves. Do your workouts spiritually. Read your Bible. Pray. Be in fellowship with others. Build those spiritual muscles. Be strong. Number two, stand firm is the thing it says. So you got to be strong, then you got to stand firm. Stand firm is, for guys who have played football, you know you hold the line. You get in a, a stance so that when you get hit, you, you don't give ground. Stand firm means you dig in because you're going to get buffeted. You're going to get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine in our world. Standing strong means I'm not going to bend. I'm going to be who God's called me to be no matter what's going on around me. Be strong, stand firm, and then understand the schemes of the devil. So you have to have an understanding of how the attacks are going to come. Anybody who's going to be in battle, it's good to know how the enemy is likely to come at you. The fourth thing is put your armor on every day. Don't go into battle naked, right? Be ready to face what you're going to face. And then the last thing is pray. Pray like crazy. Those are the five primary commands in this passage. Be strong. Stand firm, be aware of the schemes, put on the armor, and pray. Now, with that, I want to jump back and talk about the schemes of the devil. And, and there are, I think there are five primary ways that the devil comes at us. B verse 11 says, be strong so you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Five primary strategies to look at that I think will help you know how to be ready for the attack. So here's the first way that the enemy often tries to attack us. It's tied to one of the names or titles for him in the Bible. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Also says he's a slanderer. One of the ways he is going to attack you is by bringing false accusations against you. Or maybe true accusations against you. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. One of his go-to tactics is to regularly remind you of your failures, your shortcomings, where you mess up, your inadequacies, your deficiencies. Sometimes he will make up stuff that's not true that he knows he can get you to believe. Sometimes he just points out the obvious. I mean, the reality is you're a flawed person. You mess up. And when you mess up, it is the enemy who comes and amplifies your failure. He comes and says to you, look at you. <laughs> Come on. You call yourself a Christian. Is this even real? Do you even really believe in Jesus? I mean, look at, how you, look at the choices you make here. Maybe you've heard that voice in your head. Moms, maybe you've heard the voice in your head saying, I am the worst mom, right? Other moms are so much more put together than I am. I'm a mess. My children are all going to be criminals someday, right? We've had this thought. We've thought, we're going to have a jail ministry when our kids are older. You know, we're going to be visiting our kids in jail. You hear this voice in your head, and it just says, you're, you're failing over and over again. That's what the voice of the accuser sounds like. And you need to recognize 
who it is that's saying that to you and be ready to do battle with that voice. Now, you may say, but it's true. I am a mess. I am making a mess. Yes, that's true. Here's what's truer. The grace of God covers a multitude of our sins. So Satan wants to bring the accusations against us. God says, I'm with you. I, I can fix this. I can bring beauty from ashes. So we got to be alert. When you hear that voice in your head, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Be alert to that and go, I know where this is coming from. I'm, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to listen to that. He's not only the accuser, the Bible says he's a slanderer, and, and he's not slandering you. What he's slandering is God, because here, when he accuses you, part of what he's doing is he's saying, you're so bad, God can't fix it. You, you, things are so messed up, you're beyond the grace of God. He is slandering God, the work of Jesus, and the gospel at that point. He's saying, God's not strong enough for this. God's not big enough for this. God doesn't love you. He's calling God a liar when God says, I got this. So he's the accuser, he's the slanderer. And when Satan accuses you, let me tell you what your strategy is. Your strategy is to re-believe the gospel. Now, let me just say what I'm talking about here. Because you say, well, I believe the God. That's how I became a Christian, was by believing the gospel, right? You believe that Jesus came, that he died, that he forgave your sins, okay? So when Satan brings a list of yesterday's sins before you, you have to re-believe that Jesus died for yesterday's sins and today's sins and tomorrow's sins. You have to, in the moment, say, I know I messed up yesterday. I'm going to repent, turn away, and re-believe that I'm forgiven. Re-believe that the gospel's true. Re-believe that God loves me. So... I, there's, a, there's a hymn that I love to sing. The second verse of the hymn, the lyrics are this. When Satan tempts you to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the gospel. And we got to re-believe that every day in the face of the accusations that we hear from the, the devil. Here's a second strategy. So accusation and slander. Second one is temptation. Satan is going to tempt you to be about other things than the thing God's calling you to. He's going to tempt you to, to draw life from, to find joy in, to make a priority out of things other than what God has called you to. Satan is not omniscient, but he is smart enough to recognize the places where you are weak or vulnerable, where you're prone to sin, and he will dribble that bait in front of you regularly. He knows, like he knows with me that if I went out, I, I would not fall to gluttony if we went to a Mexican restaurant and they brought out a big bowl of, of guacamole. That, I look at that, it looks like green slime, right? I, I just have no, it's not visually attractive. I've never, I, I haven't tasted it. It looks, I don't want to put that in my mouth, right? <laughs> so there's no temptation when there's, some of you are going, I, I want to go to lunch with you because I want all the, the guacamole, right? Bring queso to the table and it's a whole different game, game on, right? 
I, I, I cannot have just a little queso. I, I get the large queso even if it's just me going out to lunch, okay? Satan knows what my temptations are. He brings out that stuff and dribbles it in front of me. Let me just give you a quick list of what I think are some of the common temptations that mothers face in particular. Moms can often be tempted to wrongly prioritize parenting. You can either value it too little or, hear me, you can value it too much. You can make your kids, you, you can obsess over your kids' performance. You can obsess over how, how they're doing. You, you can be too focused on it. It can become an idol in your life. And Satan is happy when you do that. You think, if I'm really committed to being the best mom I can be, if you're putting more of a priority on your parenting than you are on other priorities, like your walk with Jesus, like your relationship with your spouse, Satan has you. A wrong focus on the priority of parenting can be a temptation. To focus on the wrong goal for your kids can be a satanic tactic. So if you say, my goal for my kids is D1 football, my goal for my kids is a college scholarship, honor roll. My, my goal for my kids is that they, uh, that they would they'd show, they'd make me look good. When you, when you value success over character, you fall into a satanic, a satanic attack. When you value your child's popularity over their goodness, You've fallen prey to the enemy. When you value how your kids appear over what's in their heart, that's a satanic attack. That's a temptation. There's a, uh, moms who want to try to have to keep up with everybody else. That can be a temptation. Well, this mom's doing that. Her kids are in this class and that class, and I got to. That can distract you. To make discipline and correction of your children about getting your kids to, to obey for your sake, not trying to correct them into godly behavior. The wrong focus on discipline is, is one of the things Satan can use. So you want your kids to obey because it makes your life easier or it makes you look good, not because you want them to learn how to trust and follow Jesus. That can be a temptation. And then I think there's a huge temptation for moms to lose heart, to give up, to just go, I can't do this. I'm exhausted. Go lock yourself in the bathroom with a pint of haagen right? That's how we medicate some of that stuff. Just a few of the temptations I think moms face. And when you face those temptations, guess who's behind them? The enemy. All right, so he's an accuser, slander, tempter. He's also a liar. And one of the ways he's going to come at you is with lies. I mean, everything we've talked about here the, the accusations are lies. The temptations are lies. So he, Jesus said he is the father of lies. And some of the lies that moms can fall prey to in our day are children are a burden and a nuisance, not a joy and a blessing. My own worth or value is dependent on how good my children are. Being a mom is my highest calling. That's a lie. Now, you understand it's a high and lofty. Here I am on Mother's Day saying it's not your highest calling, right? 
It's a high and noble calling. It's not your highest calling. Following Jesus, living for Him, your marriage, these are priorities above raising the next generation. Being a mom is, here's one of the lies in the culture, being a mom is what loser women do. So, So you don't have a job? You don't have a career? Oh, you're just a stay. You're just a stay-at-home mom. Or I'm missing out on life. Or other people are world changers, not me. Or my children would be better off with another mom. You ever thought that? Or I'm ruining my children. These are lies, and we have to recognize that the father of lies is going to put those thoughts in front of you. In, a, in an effort to derail you. Now, he will say things and you go, but there's a ring of truth in what he's saying. Well, every good liar has a ring of truth. I mean, if, if I came to you and said, Pastor Jeff is the most handsome guy I know, right? You would immediately recognize a lie when you hear it. No ring of truth to that at all. So there has to be, <laughs> there has to be a little truth mixed in for you to fall for the lie. So all of these things I just went through, you can go back and say, but, but, yes, there's a ring of truth in that, but you've got to recognize the lie for what it is. Rather than being shaped by what the culture says about being a mom or being shaped by the voice you hear in your head, you've got to be shaped by the truth of God's word, not by the lies you're hearing. Fourth scheme of the devil, and, and this is one of his chief strategies, is to sow discord or division. And I would say particularly Satan is going to want to do this in your marriage. He wants husbands and wives divided on the roles that you're playing as parents. Now, Marianne and I did not always agree. By the way, this is my wife, Marianne, who's up here in the front row. I, I should have introduced her. She's here with me. So, so we've been married for 40, coming up on 42 years. And we have five kids. And we have nine and a half grandkids. The half is halfway here. We'll have number 10 here this year, Lord willing. And... And we did not always agree on parenting strategies or parenting ideas or how things were going to work out. But in the midst of that, we maintained a unity even in the midst of our disagreement. So if our kids came to us and said, Dad, can I do this? Mom, can I do this? We had a default answer. Let me talk to your mom about that and I'll get back to you. Let me talk to your dad about that so that we made sure that we want to make sure we're on the same page. I wasn't granting something that she'd already told them no to. Because your kids do that, right? They, one says no, they go to the other one. Say, see if I can divide you. They're little demonic. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> so they're, they're trying to split you. They're trying to divide you. And, and we, had to, we would sometimes, after the kids had asked these things, we'd get together and we'd talk. I don't think, well, I think it, we'd, we didn't always agree. But we always knew our goal is to come out united even and, and to, to, to bow before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? Spend time in prayer. And there were only a handful of times in our marriage where we were at an impasse and where one of us had to win. But, but the point is Satan wants you to be completely apart, to be divided. They want one of you thinking this is right and the other one thinking this is right and keep you separated. Division is one of Satan's strategies. So the fifth scheme, fifth tactic of the enemy, and I think this is one moms are particularly susceptible to, is unreasonable fear being stirred up. Moms being unreasonably afraid 
of what their kids are facing. Now look, we live in a broken, fallen world. It's dangerous. It's not wrong for you to want to have safety in the midst of this. There are invisible viruses. There are violent and dangerous people in our world. There are political leaders who have a very different view of where we should be going as a country than you may have. I could come up with a long list of things to be afraid of. And for mamas, when it comes to raising children, there are a lot of fears that can keep you up at night. Your kids' emotional well-being, their, their future, their choices, their, the peer pressure they face. It's enough to, you want to lock them in their room and give them no internet access and not let them cross the street till they're 37, right? I mean, it's, you can feel that way. That unreasonable fear is not from God. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. But of power, love, and a sound mind. A spirit of fear does not come from God. It comes from the devil. And I've met mamas and daddies who are overcome by a spirit of fear. There is nothing wrong with a reasonable caution against protecting against real danger. But sometimes... Moms and dads, we have to recognize that our fears are unreasonable fears. So these are the primary schemes, accusation and slander, temptations, lies, division, unreasonable fear. You've got to recognize those categories, and then you've got to put on the armor of God. I wish we had time really to dig into each piece of armor. I'm going to just fly through these six pieces of armor and just give you a word on each one of them. Six pieces in the, in the armor of God. The first is the belt of truth. And so what that means is if you're going to withstand the attacks of the enemy, you've got to put on the belt of truth. Uh, that, that is the truth about who God is and the truth about who you are, rightly understood, your glory and your depravity brought together, when you understand who God is and who you are, and that's the foundation for everything, that's the belt of truth that protects your midsection, keeps you safe. We start with that foundation. Then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, you've got to be careful here because too many people today are putting on their own righteousness, self-righteousness. They think their own goodness is what's going to protect them in the middle of spiritual battle. I try to be a good person. That's the breastplate of self-righteousness you're putting on. That's not going to protect you. Some people just go, forget righteousness. They put on unrighteousness. <laughs> they say, I'm going to clothe myself. I'm going to reject the whole thing. I'm not going to be a legalist. I'm just going to do what I want to do, live my own life. That's the breastplate of unrighteousness that you put on. That won't protect you. The righteousness you need to put on is the righteousness of Christ that covers you, that does protect you. And if, if you're going, what does that mean to put on the righteousness of Christ? That's a whole nother sermon, but you can talk to your pastors or your small group leaders and say, explain that to me. What does it mean to put on the righteousness of Christ so I'm protected from the schemes of the devil? It'll protect you from accusations. Here, here's what it means so that when Satan comes and says, you can't be a Christian. I mean, look at what you did yesterday. The breastplate of righteousness is there to say, look what Christ did uh, centuries ago. That's the righteousness I'm standing in. Not what I did yesterday, but what Christ has done for me. That's all I can say about that. Next, you put on your gospel shoes. These are cleats. These dig in. These help you stand firm. The gospel shoes are the, the re-believing of the truth of the gospel every day in your lives. You walk in that truth. You, you stand in that truth. 
you, you repent and re-believe the gospel over and over again. Then you take up the shield of faith. The dictionary says that faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. My definition of faith here is it's believing what someone tells you and then acting accordingly. The shield of faith is I'm going to believe that what God says is true is true and then I'm going to live according to that truth. The shield of faith protects us from the fiery darts of the evil one. So these attacks that come our way, we have to hold up. Here's what God says is true to counteract those fiery darts. Alistair Begg, who is uh, a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, says as he read the biographies of, of spiritual men, he, he saw this to be common. He said, some of the choicest servants of the Lord have battled with all kinds of flaming arrows, doubt, depression, unholy, unworthy, unbidden thoughts, panic attacks, deep-seated guilt. The way to deal with these things is to hold up the shield of faith and say, what does God say is true about this? And then act as if that's true. Whether you feel like it's true or not, you act like it's true. So that's, that's the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. This is where you understand not only that you have been saved, but that you are being saved and that one day you will be saved. See, salvation is not just your justification you were saved. It's also your sanctification. God is saving you. And one day you will be glorified. You will be saved. So we have to understand in the midst of all of this that, that salvation is not just a helmet that we put on that says this is what happened years ago. This is what God is still doing and what God's going to do one day. That's the helmet of salvation. These three words will help you. Salvation is about forgiveness, transformation, and hope. You've been forgiven past, present, and future. You're being transformed by the Spirit, and you have a hope for the future. So that's, that's the uh, helmet of salvation. The last one, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is what Jesus used when he was tempted in the wilderness. He used the sword of the Spirit to, to battle against the enemy with God's Word. And, and then I'll just say there's the secret weapon in all of this is the weapon of prayer. This is where Paul ends this passage is with this secret weapon of prayer where he says that as, as mamas and as all of us cry out and say, Lord, I need your help. God delights in those prayers. When your kids come to you and say, Mommy, would you help me with this? I, I want to do better. I want to be, be a better person. Can you help me? You delight in that. God delights when we cry out and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. Help me. That that prayer is the secret weapon in any of us, this. And, and let me just say, some of you go, does prayer really matter? Does prayer, is it really that big a deal? Keep this in mind. Jesus depended on prayer. Jesus knew he could not live, he could not accomplish his mission unless he was depending on prayer. Anybody here think I'm more equipped to handle spiritual battle than Jesus was? That's crazy talk, right? So, how do we deal with the challenges we face as moms with any spiritual battle? Be strong. Stand firm. Be alert to the schemes of the devil. Put the armor on and be intentional praying without ceasing. In fact, that's, that's how I want to close this morning. It's just praying for all of us here, but especially for the moms. So pray with me if you would.
Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to come to your word this morning, being to better understand what we're up against in the, the reality of the spiritual battle we experience in this life. Lord, I want to pray for those here who are moms, those who hope to be moms one day. I want to pray for those who have suffered as moms. I want to pray for those who had, had moms who hurt or harmed them growing up. Lord, you, your intention was that motherhood would be a great blessing. And I pray for everyone here who's a mom that that mom might be a great blessing to her children, that she would be strong and stand firm and be alert to your schemes and put her armor on and be prayerful. Lord, for those who are hurting or who have been hurt by motherhood, I pray that you would be the God of all comfort who comforts them in the midst of the pain. Help be their healing their comfort, restore them, give them hope and joy that is, is unmistakably from you. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. Pray that you would be glorified by our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.